time this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for what has already gone on. I thank you for our time to learn uh, what you're putting on the hearts of people in our body. I thank you for a chance to celebrate you and worship you in song. And I thank you for preparations, for the groundwork that has been laid for, uh, for a summer of meeting our neighbors. Father, I pray for that summer. I pray for the 10 weeks of Wednesdays that, that you would bring people here. Whether it is through the 180 houses that we mail a postcard to, whether it is through the doors that we'll knock on over the coming weeks, whether it's through our own neighbors in the geographical regions where we live, would you bring people, Lord, that we can be church to in the truest forms of what it is? I pray, Father, for our time this morning in your word. As you so often said, would you allow us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are ready for what you want to say? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we doing offerings? We're not doing offerings. Okay. Not now. We're going to do it later. Okay. Yeah. Per- thank, you for st- thank you for standing there the entire time. Give me a high five for that. In case you wondered, we are going to take offering later. Stacia's going to come back up very kindly. She's going to play at the end. Done. If you're looking for a church that has it all figured out, keep looking. Okay? It's not us. We'll have a lot of fun trying. Um, Let's talk about something slightly uncomfortable. Parents. If you are a parent, or if you've ever been a parent, or if you are a kid of some sort of parent, you've probably experienced this. Have you ever had to give the talk? I mean, you, you know which one I'm, I'm talking about. Since we've got young ones in here, I won't go into any, any more detail because maybe the parents haven't had the talk yet. But we're talking about the talk. You know, it's the, it's the talk that you are slightly uncomfortable giving. Maybe it's the talk that you want to postpone. Maybe it's even a talk that you pray somebody else will accidentally have for you. Ultimately, when it boils down to it, when you are giving the talk, it is because you want your kids that are growing up to to be involved in in, in healthy, God-honoring relationships. Amen? Amen. Okay, watch this turn right here. As a pastor, when I am talking about money, it feels a lot like I'm preparing to give the talk. Especially... When I'm talking about the T word. Yeah. Especially when I'm talking about the T word. Tithing. Feels a lot like, as a parent would feel, preparing for the talk. When when I'm going to talk about tithing. Kids, you have a fill in the blank or you have an answer. What is a tithe? The tithe technically means a tenth. One tenth. It's a tenth part. It's talked about a whole bunch in the Old Testament. It is talked about even in the New Testament. Jesus mentions it. Now, much like there are different uh, understandings, values, guidelines for parents who are giving the talk, in the church there are different guidelines, understandings, levels of Christians that understand what or what tithing is not. If I simplify it, we typically fall into two different camps. One camp is this. This is the camp that believes that 10% of everything you get comes back to the local church. Another camp believes that, you know, that's an Old Testament principle. It's a regulation of the law that God no longer requires. So we should give according to what we sense God telling us. It doesn't necessarily have to be a tenth. 
Those are the two parts, oversimplified. Allow me to unpack them just a little bit, give a little history of the tithe. Now, the traditional view of the tithe started back with Abraham. Abraham's uh, relative lot was captured by, uh, by some marauders, by some raiders, and he was taken off along with wealth and other people. So Abraham chased this group. He caught up with them, he fought them, and he retrieved his relatives and the wealth that they had stolen. Now, on the way back home, he comes across this interesting Old Testament character named Melchizedek. And we see this in Genesis 14, verse 18 to 20. It says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe, of all the goods he had recovered. Now, I've got to wonder if Abraham's relatives were there with him, specifically his grandson, because years later his grandson did something very similar. He was uh, on his way back home, and he was at this night at Bethel, I think is what it was, and he says this in Genesis 28, Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar that I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. A tenth. Later on, God took this practice and he, and he told Moses, write it into several of the laws that you're going to give people. You see this in Leviticus, chapter 27, um, verse 30. God says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Numbers, chapter 18, verse 28 You must present one-tenth of the tithe received from the Israelites as a sacred offering to the Lord. This is the Lord's sacred portion, and you must present it to Aaron the priest. Be sure to give to the Lord the best portions of the gifts given to you. There are numerous other times in the Old Testament that talks about the tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 1 Samuel 8, 2 Chronicles 31, Numbers, or Nehemiah 10 and 12, Amos chapter 4. We could list a whole bunch of them. Now, interesting side note, more than just the Jews, this was actually a common practice in that day and age. Not just the Jewish people, but in the surrounding nations as well. One guy named Verhoff, who writes in a commentary, he says, The practice of giving a tenth part of one's possessions for maintenance of both church and government is ancient and widespread. They find numerous neighboring nations, such as the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, the Arabs, the Carthaginians, the Lydians, as well as the Greeks and Romans. They practiced that, giving a tenth to provide for church and government. A regular practice back then. So what do we do with it today? It's a legitimate question. Because as I said, on one side of the camp, there's a lot of people who will say it still applies today. One-tenth of the first check you write every month needs to go to the church. They were taught this growing up. Maybe they witnessed it. Maybe they just learned it. They point to Jesus saying twice, in, once in Matthew 23 and Luke 11, same story. Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. Now, we'll look at that story next week. 
This is one side of the camp. They say 10%. Now the other side says, wait, 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 wait. That's an Old Testament principle. We're a New Testament church. If you read the, the New Testament, not too much is mentioned about the practice of tithing. The practice of 10%. People on this side go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. We talked about this last week. They said, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. People here have decided in their hearts, and this is fine, that they're going to give 1%. And they're going to give joyously. Maybe this side has decided anything under a $10 bill in my wallet on a Sunday morning, I'll give to Jesus, and I'm going to give it with a smile. And I tell you what, I'm not throwing stones, okay? They will say, I'm practicing the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. A very wise man, much wiser than me, because he's published, and he's also in a commentary, writes this. The law declares one day out of seven to be holy to the Lord. The Spirit sanctifies all seven of them. The law sets apart one tribe out of twelve to be priests. The Spirit declares that the whole congregation has to fulfill the priestly office. That's 1 Peter 2, 8, uh, 2 9. The law demands a tenth part of his people's possessions. The Spirit translates us to become God's possessions with all that we have. Everything belongs to him. So this side of the camp says, maybe it doesn't have to be a full 10%. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less, as long as I'm giving out of the correct spirit. This morning I thought about giving some statistics to you. 2012, there was a study that was done that said average Americans give 3% of their income to charity. 3%. 2013, a Gallup poll said that the regular church attender, regular church attender, only 7.4% of them give a tithe, give 10%. Wow. There's a whole bunch of other stats that I could give you, but here's what I'm sensing, okay? When parents stand up to give the talk, when their kids realize what's happening, this gloss goes over, right? (laughs) When I stand up to talk about tithing, this gloss goes over. I wonder if there's a third way we can look at this, not just two different camps. And I wonder that based out of a text that was quoted to me when somebody found out I wasn't tithing 10% of my income back in 1999, the year of our Lord. So we're going to look at that text, and we're going to see, is there another way of looking at this? Maybe both camps are right, but is there something else we should look at? But I want to, because we've got a little bit of a gloss, I want to just, everybody, shift for a minute. Breathe out. And I've been saving this for six weeks. I fully believe in giving 10%, okay? One day I looked down at my fingernails, and I said, I have 10 of them. I'm going to give one to the Lord. For, for those who are new and don't know, I, I lost the tip of my finger to a manhole cover at the church. So, uh, okay, now, we're, I got you back. I got you back. <laughs> Malachi, chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. It's a text in one of the minor prophets. It's a text with strong language, and it's a text that, uh, as I told you, somebody cited to me when they found out I was not giving a full 10% of my income to the Lord. Prophet says this I am the Lord, he's speaking for God, and I do not change. 
That is why you descendants of Jacob are, al- are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Well, should people cheat God? God replied. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You guys ever heard that text? It's a pointed text. And I'm going to give you two sermons with an opportunity to leave in between the two, okay? Here's the short sermon. According to this text, when you don't tithe, it's stealing from and robbing God. So tithe. Bring a full 10% to the church, and when you do, God will hashtag bless you. Short sermon. I'll say it again. When you don't tithe, you're cheating and robbing from God. So God says tithe. Bring your entire 10% to the Lord. And when you do, God will hashtag bless you. If that is all you need to hear this morning, to become one of the 7.4% who actually give 10% of your income, if this short sermon has transformed the way you understand tithing, you are free to go. If this passage leaves you slightly uncomfortable, leaves you thinking, there's got to be more, then bear with me for just a little bit more. Nobody leaving? Okay. We're going to make this talk on tithe as painless and as eye-opening as possible, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat that after spending time reading, studying, praying, wrestling through this text, I don't think it's about giving uh, exact 10% of your paycheck to the church. In fact, I don't even think it's about money. I think it's about relationship. And I would argue that tithing is all about relationship. Here's why I say that. It's exactly, it starts with what God says. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. So rewind to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, okay? God's intention in creating humanity was to be in relationship with them. That was his heart's desire. That's what he wanted. And when Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing, they chose to step outside of the relationship God intended. From that point to this point in our text, God says, I don't change. That's still what I want. In fact, he says this in verse 7, ever since the days of your ancestors. Go back to Adam and Eve, okay? You have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I'll return to you. That's relationship. Now I read the people's follow-up question as a genuine heartfelt question. But how can we return when we've never gone away? 
I think they were unaware of how their actions had drawn them away from a relationship with God. That's why God jumps right to the heart of the matter. And he's, he talks about robbing and cheating, and he says that dreaded T word, tithes. Verses 8 to 10. God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And you ask, what do you mean? What have we cheated you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you. This is the same language that that, uh, was talked about in the flood. God opening the windows of heaven. I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you, and I'm going to pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Are you confused yet? How does that have to do at all with relationship? Tithing, money, rain. Every time we open Scripture, we need to realize that it should teach us something. We should be able to apply it, but we also need to remember that it was written to a specific people, at a specific time, going through a specific circumstance. That is the case here in Malachi as well. So let's give a little bit of history here. The prophet Malachi is writing to the Jewish people who had returned from their Babylonian exile at about the, at about the year of A.D. 430. They had been taken captive, lived in captivity for a long time, lived under their oppressors, not being allowed to live as God had called them to live while they were in Israel. And now they had returned And Malachi is writing them to say, let me remind you what it looks like to live under the reign of God instead of the reign of Babylon. That's what the entire book of Malachi is about. Now hang with me here as the the history really begins to bring our text to life. Historically speaking, Malachi writes at the same time as Nehemiah. If you remember the story of Nehemiah at all, he came back to Jerusalem with some Jewish exiles, and he came back for a while. He settled them. He was, he was going to restore Jerusalem. He had to go back to Babylon because he told this king he would. And he was gone for a while, and then, and then he came back. It's in that in-between time from his first visit to when he came back that Malachi is writing what we're seeing today. During that in-between time, the Jews, while, while Nehemiah was gone, they began neglecting their compulsory contributions, their required contributions to support the temple staff so that the temple staff had to go out and work their own fields. That makes sense? So the Jews that were in Jerusalem, without their leader, Nehemiah, because he had gone back and he hadn't returned yet, they started neglecting their required gifts to the temple. And that meant those who were working in the temple had to go out and work their own fields. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10. You can just listen to it. Nehemiah said, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to to conduct the worship services, they all returned to work their fields. Nehemiah wasn't pleased with this. So he says in verse 11, Immediately I confronted the leaders and demanded, Why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again. I restored them to their proper duties. And once more all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. Are you following me? Okay. 
Malachi is writing to the Jews in that that in-between time, the Jews who had been neglecting bringing food to the temple. We see that in verse 10 in Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. The tithes were the the required gifts, the livelihood of the temple workers. They weren't getting that, so they had to return to work the fields. The tithes that he was talking about wasn't 10% off of their paycheck. It was food. It was supplies. Why is this such a big deal? Again, what does this have to do with relationships? Unlike today, where God resides in us. Unlike today, where Jesus has given us direct access to the Father. Unlike today, the Jews back then did not have that. So the only way they connected with God was going to the temple. That was where they went to worship. That was where they went to sacrifice. That was where they experienced God. That was where they met with him. That is where they had relationship with God. If the temple staff couldn't be in the temple performing their temple duties, there was no relationship with God to be had. That makes sense? That's why it was such a big deal. If the temple staff could not do their work, they had to be out in the fields plowing and picking and and harvesting instead of in the temple performing their duties so that the people could meet with God. If that didn't happen, the people couldn't meet with God. There'd be no more relationship. That's why God is saying, would you bring all of it so that you can return to me and I can return to you? It had nothing to do with a percentage of their paycheck or a tax write-off or a set standard that Abraham or Jacob set. This had everything to do with God's desire to be in relationship with the people. I'm God. I don't change. I want to be with you. Return to me. I'll return to you. So yes, by not bringing their tithes and offerings, the food and supplies to the temple, they were robbing God, but they weren't robbing God of cash. He doesn't have a bank account. He doesn't need their their money. They were robbing him of an opportunity to be in an intimate relationship with God, to connect with, to worship, to abide with him. God and the people were missing out on being together. Now, it seems so cut and dry when I explain it like this. So why in the world would those, those Jews not bring their stuff so that they could experience God? They didn't bring their food because they have a very practical reason. There's a drought going on. There's a literal drought going on in their land. And that drought is going on. You can see this in the prophet Haggai, chapter 1, 4 to 11. God speaks of this drought. It's because the people were spending more time building their own houses, remodeling their own houses, than they were rebuilding God's temple. And again, it's relational. So God says, look, you care more about your stuff than I'm going to send a drought. You won't have food. And that's that. So I can't throw stones at the Jews in Malachi's time because if there's a drought going on, they don't have much to give. They're wondering, how in the world can we bring food and supplies to the temple when I don't even know if I'm going to have food and supplies for my own dinner? I can't blame them. It's natural for us to think today, how in the world could I give God 10% when I can't even live on the 100% that I have? Come back to Malachi 3. God promised the people if they risked, if they risked bringing what they had 
to support the temple function, he would stop the drought and produce would abound again. You see this in verse 10 to 12. Bring the tithes, the offerings. If you do, I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. For I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God's saying risk. Bring what you don't think you have enough of to me, and I'll prove to you that I'm going to be enough. In fact, he says, test me. Test me. Oh, I don't like that. And when that person told me in 1999, you need to test God on this. I'm like, no, no, Jesus says don't test God. Luke chapter 4. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. I guess there's a slight difference, though. Because normally when we test God, it's, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to see if God answers. But in this case, it's God saying, look, I want you to try this so I can prove to you that I'll be enough for you. So if it's God saying it, it's different than us initiating it. So even though I don't like it, I'm, I'll try it. I know this sounds repetitive, but I think that what God is saying to us in this text today is that we need to risk trusting every aspect of our life to God. Even the food on our table, even the money in our wallets. We need to trust him that he will prove that he is enough. We need to stop holding back and let God prove to us that he does not change still today. The Apostle Paul wrote the church in Philippi and he said this, The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. First church, we're in a series on money. We're talking about money, and we're looking at a Malachi 3 text that many people will cite and say, this is a proof text that you still have to tithe today. Try God, test him on it. He'll give you way more than you ever give him. As you've probably been able to pick up on my talking, I'm not so sure that's what our text is saying to us still today. I began talking about the talk this morning as parents giving it to kids, right? And oftentimes as they're giving the talk, they're saying something along the lines of, well, you, you got, don't go so far, save parts of yourself, right? Don't give all of you to somebody else. Withhold portions so that it'll be so much sweeter when the time actually comes. Here's where the tithing talk takes a different turn. God's saying the opposite. God's saying, don't hold back from me. Don't hold anything back from me. Give me everything and let me prove to you that I will be everything to you. And when we're in such a deep, heartfelt, abiding relationship, the people around you will look and they will say, you've got something that I don't. What is that? You'll be able to say, it's it's because I gave everything. I didn't hold back. And that leads us with some questions we should ponder. What are you holding back from God? 
in all areas of your life? Are you not trusting him with everything, including your finances? Are there things you need to fully give to God in order to allow your relationship to be fully what he intends it to be? Since we are in a series talking about money, I want to talk very practically about money. Are you giving to God's work financially? If not, why? Keeping in mind, hear me say this, I fully believe tithing is about relationship. I want to encourage us all to take some next steps in our financial relationship with God. These steps are up, uh, it's a nice little graph up here. Okay, this helps us figure this out. If you have never given to God's work, to the church, I would encourage you, become a first-time giver. Just like the talk, it's scary the first time. But give for the first time. If you have given already to the church, but randomly, I would encourage you, become a regular giver. It's the next graph right up there. I'm not telling you how much. I'm just saying give regularly. Talk to God. Figure out what that is. And then give regularly. Take that risk. Now, once you've gone from first time to regular, the push is to go down to percentage. Be a percentage giver. I will stand here in front of you and tell you that I do believe 10% is the standard that we should aim for. It is Old Testament, but it's a good thing for us to aim for, 10% or more. But if you become first time, then regular, then percentage, perhaps you can't give 10% right now. Give, give 1%. Look at your finances and say, wow, Lord, I don't know how I'm still going to make ends meet, but I'm going to commit to you to give 1% of my income. And then Jesus, next year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double it. I'm going to go 2%. And then trusting that you're going to continue to pride, Lord, provide the, the following year, I'll give 4%. Work your way up to 10%. Test God. He'll provide all you need. Okay? First time, regular percentage. If you're already a percentage giver, if you already give 10% or more, I would push you to become an extravagant giver. And you don't have to be wealthy. To do that, if, you're, if your annual salary is $12,000 or if it's $112,000, if you can give a, a, above and beyond, do so. Do so and see what happens. Last week we had Proverbs 11.26 where it says, give freely and become more wealthy. Do that. But don't think of it monetarily. Think of it Relationally. What is God going to do with your relationship with him when you can take those steps, whatever they are? So what's your next step? Now, here's the risky part. Unlike last week, I purposely held off offering until the end. If I'm going to encourage somebody who's never been a first-time giver to give, I want to give them an opportunity to give. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to pass the plates. And I want you to give not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of pressure. We'll go right back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. You must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I am not pressuring you to give this morning. What I am doing is saying, let's worship God 
in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And let's make this not just an act of worship, but an act of relationship. Let's give, in essence, saying to God, I'm all in. I'm not holding back from you. I'm trusting that you will never change and that you will always provide for all I need. Lord, I want to be yours fully. In fact, I want to pray that prayer. I'm going to encourage the ushers to come forward. Stacia, I'll encourage you to come on up and play a little bit during the offering. And we're going to take our tithes and offerings now. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a challenging, a difficult, and uncomfortable topic. Um, but it doesn't have to be. Because ultimately, what, what I'm seeing, Father, is this is a topic about you desiring to be in a relationship with us. You desiring us to fully trust you. So God, we give this morning saying, in whatever amount it is, that we're all in. We don't want to hold anything back from you. We want to trust that you will never change like you've promised and that you will provide all our needs. God, we want to be fully yours. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to give out of a joyful spirit, to give out of, yes, an act of worship, but more so out of an act of relationship. And as we take next steps in this relational journey with you and our finances, would you bless us, Lord, spiritually, relationally, and however else you want to. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning back though none go with me still i will follow though none go
decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Thank you, Lord, for broken cords that lead to that. Thank you. Everybody say, whoo! We made it through the, the talk on tithing. Yeah, that's good. Praise the Lord. That'll happen again in eight years. Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, one thing I haven't specifically mentioned today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, for those who are fathers, for those who uh, aren't fathers, for those who uh, have fathers, uh, this is a big day. Okay, so that pretty much includes all of us. I want to speak specifically to the guys. You guys have a huge opportunity and a huge uh, responsibility in front of you. Okay? Um, God has called us all of us, but I'll speak to the guys this morning, to represent him. So we need to represent our heavenly father and the way he fathers us in how we love and treat and father others. Now, if you remember, for Mother's Day, um, we gave some high-end cupcakes. I, I heard rumor they were good. We gave them to all the women, okay? Uh, this morning, we're going one step better for the guys, we're giving you bacon. <laughs> Come on now. Woo! I do want you to know I did my research on this. I talked to several fathers and non-fathers, and I said, hey, we got a couple of different ideas. Here's this, here's that, here's this. What about bacon? Bacon. Bacon will make us feel loved. Men, we love you. Okay? Now, I realize this would not have flown in the Jewish temple. <laughs> we are a New Testament church. I think God smiles upon this. I really do. There's 114 pieces of bacon. Trust me, I cooked them. I counted them. I only ate 12 leading up to it. So there were 136 pieces. So, guys, you can start with at least two each. Make sure everybody gets some, then come back and finish it off. Um, well, all the ladies, there's cookies and juice and <laughs> stuff out there. Ah, speaking of God smiling on you this week, may God smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor. May he give you his peace. And may he just bless you. Amen? amen. And amen. You guys are dismissed. Guys up here, girls over there.